0: Welcome to another episode of Empower Apps. I'm your host, Leo Dion. Today, we are joined by Christina Moulton. Hey, Christina, glad to have you on.
1: Hey, Leo, thanks for having me. Uh, I've been an iPhone developer since, uh, I think, iOS 3, way back when. Most recently, I've been working at Square, working on Cash App on their investing product.
0: Awesome. Really glad to have you on. When we were talking about different topics to talk about, One thing that I've found really challenging with a lot of my development, both server side and client side, uh, and we'll be talking about today is just how to do more complex testing. And what I mean is software testing. Why do you think it's so important?
1: The biggest thing with software testing is you're really trying to find some way to reproduce what your, your customers, your app users are experiencing. So, I mean, the the most wonderful ideal in the world would be if we could literally have some robot run through all the possible scenarios and record them and, and make sure that nothing ever changes and that everything is the way we expect. Uh, the reality is that just doesn't end up working out and would take a ton of time if it did. So we try to do different ways to improve testing by doing things that are more localized um, and more granular, um, which can be challenging to to pull those together and deal with the integration and and the higher-level things that come out of those. Although they can also be a lot easier working with granular tests for developers uh, to get feedback, to keep things on track, to stay focused at the the level of abstraction that they're working.
0: So what would you say is the most basic form of testing any team should start with when it comes to an iPhone app?
1: The most very most basic thing is certainly having people physically run through on real devices, the actual scenarios are people are going to deal with. So manual QA testing is going to be your very simplest thing. But realistically, everybody's going to do that. When you come down to automated testing, the first thing that most people are going to start with, and probably the best bang for your buck and the easiest to get started with, is going to be general unit testing. So writing relatively low-level granular tests that set up a scenario, run it, and verify that the output is what you expect.
0: So we had Kyle on the show uh, last year, and we talked a bit about continuous integration. How does that fit into the whole puzzle of unit testing and testing in general?
1: The really nice thing about continuous integration is that you can include unit tests as a step during it. So you can have whatever server your CI is running on run your tests for you and verify that nothing's
0: failed. So besides unit tests, is there other things you should possibly be adding to your script or continuous integration?
1: Ideally, yes. And I would think of unit tests as a really good way to tackle the low-hanging fruit. And so if you haven't got great coverage there, um, there may be things that are worth tackling there first. But once you've got that working really well, then you can start to look at other things. And two things that commonly come up are the visual representation of an app, and integrations between different components. So visually, you can do things like maybe snapshot different views, and that allows you to look at things like what does it look like on different screen sizes, if you have visual components that get shared in multiple places, uh, noting the changes that get made to those and and being aware of the impact of, uh, say, a font change on numerous different screens. And then integration testing would be the other element where You're not looking at really low-level components and testing small scenarios, but bigger ones. Things like, does the navigation between two screens when the user takes a certain action occur the way you expect it to?
0: So could you kind of like deep dive a little bit more into integration testing, what that exactly means?
1: Yeah, it's a term that gets a little bit overloaded. I've certainly seen people use integration testing as kind of almost higher-level unit tests that pull together bigger systems and are written in a more behavioral way. So on this screen, the user takes this action and these are the results. So it's not one tiny little niche unit test. It's something that encompasses uh, several components. Another thing that I've seen people call kind of an integration test are Apple's implementation of UI tests, where you can record or write out a script of user actions and then verify the result.
0: Hey folks, a lot of people ask me what do they recommend for a host when it comes to their new podcast? And I really recommend the host I've been using, which is Transistor.fm. Transistor.fm is the serious podcast host. If you want to get into podcasting and really invest the time and money in something that works and that will help you easily maintain and get that show out that you want to get out while keeping it easy to maintain and easy to share and get connected with the variety of hosts and services out there. Transistor has the ability to hook up to things like Spotify and Apple podcasts so that you can get your show up and ready and working right away. If you're interested in giving Transistor a try, go to the link in the show notes below and use that referral link to let them know you heard about us. As a developer, I've wanted to build my own podcast show and host it myself. And I've got to say that is not a great idea, but if you are looking for something that'll just help you get started to start your podcast. I'll post also a link from the folks at transistor. Justin has a really great post on getting started building your own podcast. And I just have to say, if you have already started your podcast and are looking for something for hosting as your audience grows and definitely take a look at transistor today and Check out some of their great analytics that they've helped me to grow this podcast as well. Again, check out the link in the show notes below with the referral code to get started, let them know where you heard about us and get started on that podcast or migrate that podcast over to transistor so that you can do what you love recording and putting out a great show without having to deal with all the technical issues of distribution, hosting, and things like that again links in the show notes below and try out transistor today. Thanks. Okay. So like one of the things you hear about a lot with with unit testing that I think a lot of folks find confusing is the fact that unit tests are supposed to be isolated and are not supposed to really integrate with networking or database or things like that. Are integration tests then that that test that actually integrates with those services then?
1: Sometimes, uh, sometimes they're just integrating between different sets of things that are individual unit testing that aren't necessarily quite so difficult. The complexity starts to come when you deal with things like networking databases that they can be a bit inconsistent in their behavior. So slower responses, things like that. So from a testing perspective, if you want to have very reliable tests, they're easier to mock out. And essentially describe the behavior and have some fake version of them enact that behavior. And that can be something that you can use even if you're dealing with a larger integration test. There are times when, yeah, verifying that that your database is reading and writing and and doing the things it should is is a reasonable thing to do. Networking is a really fun one. (laughs) Um, People do do it. I think I would probably consider this more like what people call smoke tests, where you're really looking for for indications of fire or, or things that have gone wrong. Generally, when you're getting to those things that it's like, it's really hard to test this, asking what am I trying to get out of testing this and how else could I do that comes down to a good thing. So if you're saying, you know, I want to make sure that my app always does the right thing when it talks to the server. But I can't guarantee that my server is always in a perfect state. Sometimes you've got downtime, some we've got updates running, things like that. Doing a set of tests on the client that expect a certain input and doing a test set of tests on the server that deliver the same output and matching those as a contract might be a reasonable way to do that. So sometimes drawing a, an isolation line uh, somewhere in the middle of what you're trying to test can be a really effective strategy.
0: What are some challenges in drawing that line when it comes to isolation?
1: Where do you draw it? What What's a reasonable place? Um, there can be lots of different ideas of what might work, what might not. The other is fully defining it. So it's extremely common, especially in today's JSON world, but in in almost any type of of communication between a server and a client, to have some states that are not necessarily 100% well documented, that some error cases and such aren't necessarily well understood and aren't necessarily perfectly well described. So you can very much, very easily end up in a case where you've defined the happy path or the ideal state, and you're testing that, and that's great, and you should. But it's also very easy to miss out on cases that are important. So it's very easy if you're trying to draw a line in the sand and say, I'm going to test both sides of this line for there to be different states that line could be in and maybe get a little too focused or fixated on only a subset of those states.
0: Yeah, we had a couple of folks from Ray Winderlick on a a couple of years ago talking about test driven development, uh, Josh and Mike, and they're talking about how important that isolation is, but also being able to test those like edge cases, like you're talking about, like that's something I always find is just making sure that, okay, if an error happens, make sure you handle it in a healthy manner and doing that. What are some other mistakes that novices make when they're doing unit testing? You think?
1: That's a really good question. It's really easy to write tests that and very often you don't realize you're doing it. But if you've written the code and you're writing the tests, uh, some of the knowledge you have from how the code is written can leak out and impact how you test it. So you may miss error cases because they're the same error cases that you didn't anticipate when you wrote the code. So now you're never going to write the tests that checks for those error cases or checks the behavior because you missed it there. So it's very easy for your blind spots to end up in your testing as well. One exercise that you can do to help with that is to back out and essentially draw like a little diagram of, of what it is you're testing. And this is way easier with unit testing than, than anything higher level. It's just what are the inputs and what are the outputs? And, you know, what, what kind of situations could we get into? And have we tested all of those?
0: Okay, that makes a lot of sense. The other thing I think a lot of folks run into is the trap of code coverage, where they try to get perfect code coverage because we're programmers and we like metrics and numbers. And if we're not at a hundred percent, uh, we sometimes get trapped doing that while not taking advantage of, or really thinking about your edge cases or errors, like you're saying, I think that could be a big trap, uh, amongst developers when it comes to unit testing. So we talked about integration testing, what other levels of testing are there out there besides unit testing and integration testing?
1: Uh, I don't know if I'd really call it a level, but things that are more UI oriented are are certainly a thing. You can almost consider those unit tests for visual representation. And then there's all the higher level stuff where you start getting into uh, acceptance testing and the more manual QA things. And the higher up you get, the harder it is to automate the testing and the more likely it is it's going to end up in a written plan or script than being something that a programmer can next naturally code up. So the the benefit and the value in higher level testing, for example, integrations between client and servers, uh, can be really, really valuable, but it's also most likely going to be a lot more effort. So if you are a programmer, you probably have limited time uh, and effort that you can spend on things. So figuring out where to put that effort is uh, very important. And certainly considering what kind of integration tests or or acceptance tests or anything really high level is something you should be doing. Kind of like that 100% code coverage, you kind of can't sit down and say, we should definitely do 100% of these things. They should always be done and they should always be perfect. Um, There's going to be a bit of of figuring out what works for you and what makes sense there.
0: So. Well, you've been talking quite a bit about like snapshots, right, um, and the UI. How do you automate that right now, if anything?
1: Uh, you do, actually. Our snapshots run on CI. Um, they can be a little bit slow. It can be a bit of an annoyance. If you're dealing with, with slow CI times, it can be a bit of a pain. But Point Free Co. has a really nice snapshot library. And it's you end up writing something that looks very much like a unit test, except for instead of setting up, you know, whatever class or or structure you're working with, you're setting up a view, and then you just pass that to like a snapshot verify method. And it will uh, spin up a simulator, take a snapshot of that view, or compound view if it's uh, multiple things pulled together, and record that in a folder in your, your repo, whatever. And then after you've made changes, when you run it again, the next time that you generate an image, it will compare the images and tell you if there are any differences.
0: Wow, that's awesome. Sven actually talked about this. Uh, he uses it to test the Swift package index site um, and he was talking about s- snapshot testing. This this seems like really robust something I should spend some time with. <laughs> if two of my guests have mentioned it in uh, concurrent episodes, that's awesome. And it, so that takes like a PNG, I guess, and compares the image and does all that stuff for you. That's That's amazing.
1: It's really handy and it definitely saves us. The really fun thing that we found is we can share the, the difference between the two images, like a, a Git diff, in GitHub or somewhere, with designers. So getting someone to sign off wow. on how something has changed. Um, and for example, running it on, you know, what does it like, look like on the iPhone SE versus the biggest phone that we're supporting versus uh, what does it look like in dark mode can all be handled within that. So it's it's really handy
0: that way. So you talked about designers. Obviously, there's other teams that you're working with. How do you make sure that your tests are in sync, both within your dev team, but with other teams as well?
1: Yeah, so our biggest integration kind of testing-wise would be with our server developers. And we can do things. We're we working towards trying to share some test specs with them. So essentially, their outputs that they're verifying would match our inputs um, that we run tests off of. But there's always those corner cases, like I said, like, You draw a line in the sand and you want to know what the state is there to try to test that. But if there's some ambiguity in it or there's a lot of different potential corner cases, that can be really difficult. So in that case, I think I'd actually prefer to have fewer tests and have a better defined contract. So ideally, and this is exactly the opposite of what happens with JSON very often right now, is you'd have a narrow set of possible states that the data being passed between the subsystems can be in. So that might be something like having better defined types uh, within the protobuf uh, JSON, whatever's being passed between your client and server. And so in that case, it would give you uh, much smaller surface areas for the inputs or outputs for whatever you're testing. So sometimes uh, you can end up improving the system you're working on by saying, how do we make this easier to test? And we very often think of that as, well, you know, modularize it and break it up and build, you know, single responsibility components. But it can also be things like uh, using types to define better interfaces. And so, you know, you you pass some kind of date type uh, or some kind of proper time representation instead of, oh, you know, here's a random number with some digits and maybe it's in seconds and maybe it's in milliseconds.
0: You figure it out. So it seems like being more specific and being like being very, uh, how do I put it, forthright with what you expect and what you get back is a big part of that component.
1: Definitely. The, the more you can define the possible interfaces of any component, whether it's something you're unit testing or something that's going between different teams at, a, at an integration level, uh, the better your tests are going to be, too, because you you can then get full coverage and represent all the
0: states. So we talked a bit about acceptance testing and some of those more manual processes, but then we also talked about more automated stuff like continuous integration. Are there ways kind of like similar to like a code review to where you can, I don't know how to put it, like mechanical Turk, the automation of some of these more red tape bureaucratic testing methods. You, you know what I mean? To where you like have a workflow and like, oh, so and so stakeholder has accepted this part. Okay, good. Now it moves on to step three. Is there any way to like automate that workflow, so to speak? Does that question make sense?
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely things that, that exist that way. The at a low level, if it's something like new person signs up and creates a new account and that works correctly, and going through all the various steps involved in that, and then they can take whatever appropriate action is to be taken with a new account. Um, You could largely do that with UI testing. But yeah, to some extent, something a little more high-level and integrated would make sense for some of those things. Like if you're actually going to talk back and forth to the server and and do some testing there. Those are probably things that you just don't want to run on CI because they're going to be a little bit flaky. But you could still do something where you run them every night, run them once a week, run them pre-release, get a report, and you're going to have a little more manual verification to say like, okay, you know, if this failed, is that okay? Um, do we just need to rerun it? Is it just, you know, we we hit a bad state at that time? So there are things that you, you can build tools for yourself to use. You're probably going to have somebody's time going into that and, and effort. But if they were going to be manually running through those scenarios, you know, pre-release or something anyway... Um, Or if it's going to help you catch them closer to when the mistake was made, it's it's way better. If somebody makes a mistake on Tuesday, you catch it on Wednesday instead of next week. Uh, it's much easier to go back and fix it then. So yeah, there, there are definitely ways that you can do that kind of thing. You're going to put a little more effort into it. And to some extent, I would say that's the right thing to do when you start finding that that is something that you want. Uh, if you're running into scenarios where you're going, oh, you know, if we'd actually run through all the possible situations, but we didn't have time to manually test that. Uh, We'd have caught this. Then go do that. Yeah. That
0: makes a lot of sense. Do you want to get your app featured on the App Store? Apple really likes to feature apps that show off their latest technology on their platforms and OSs. So, for instance, using some of Apple's latest APIs like dark mode, augmented reality, widgets, or sign in with Apple will help you get you on their radar. Now, if you want to get more tips like these, as well as best practices and mobile industry highlights straight to your inbox, then you want to sign up for AppFigure's weekly newsletter at appfigures.com newsletter. You can see the link in the show notes below. Also, AppFigure's is the tool to get your audience to know about your app and be able to find it easily through the App Store. If you haven't used AppFigure's then I recommend heading to AppFigures.com to try AppFigures for free. If you like it, both new and existing users can use our special code, MPOWER3030, to get 30% off for the next three months. Check our links in the show notes below for more details. And thank you, AppFigures, for sponsoring our show. So, we've talked about Testing that involves like kind of a pass fail type situation, but then there's things like performance and quality where it's much more qualitative, I guess, so to speak. What are some tests that you'd recommend in order to make sure that your, your app is running in a performant and high quality fashion?
1: So the simplest one is at a kind of unit test type low level you can actually have tests that measure performance as in how long did it take to do this operation. So, And that's something where, again, yeah, maybe you want to really hook this up to at least a fake database um, and go through that transaction 10, 20, 100 times to get a, a statistically significant representation of that. So you can use, uh, I think there are XC test measure blocks uh, that will do that. can be a problem if you're not running on consistent hardware, if you have a CI set up with a lot of different machines in it. We'll have a little bit of work to go through there to, to make sure that works out nicely. Uh, but even if there's something that just gets run manually every once in a while or gets run on one specific machine once a week to, to flag issues, that kind of thing can be, can be helpful. Higher level performance stuff and quality stuff. It's fun. <laughs> um, <laughs> it depends what you're defining as quality. Um, and there's just so many dimensions to it. Uh, for example, the. Visual snapshot tests, you can include some that show the voiceover text for accessibility. So do you have voiceover text for every element? Is it appropriate? Does it fit? You're going to have a human evaluate if that's right, but they can do it based on an image. It's a quality thing, entirely different from measuring database performance. Setting up in a higher integration level, you could do something where you run some tests and run some timers in them. On things like, we have this fake account that has a huge amount of data in it, and this is what we know are some of the most uh, significant performance things that occur in the app. On the other hand, you're also going to get to the point where this stuff is really hard to represent the real world. So, at some point, some things are just going to be really hard to catch with tests pre-release, and maybe something that you want to put into analytics so that you can be aware of them as they happen. Because uh, you're never going to have all possible states of user accounts with different amounts of data and different amounts of different types of data easily represented. Um, at a certain scale, that's just going to get really difficult. So something like some kind of analytics that tracks, I've made a request to the server, how long did it take to come back? And having some oh, kind of baseline okay. on, you know, for, for what operations is that slower? Um And you may want to track that on the server and client side to make sure that, you know, if there's a deviation, is it something that's, uh, you know, are are people's network connections just degraded because they cut another fiber optic cable in New England again? Um, Or is it something where, where the server
0: processing time
1: has increased for particular responses or you've just got a lot of load going on?
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So what kind of tools do you use as far as like analytics are concerned?
1: Uh, being at a big company now, I don't really get to decide, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> and I'm not the primary consumer of those anymore. There are plenty of perfectly good ones out there, but I would say for the most part, uh, if you can log events with time stamps on them and make charts of the time duration between events, um, of a certain type or a start or an end, something like that, that's probably mm-hmm. all you need for that kind of thing. Uh, it's not a particularly difficult okay. thing to set up. And then just track the, you know, median mode distribution or something over time.
0: Right, right. So you're about to release the the app. What are some specific ways to make sure your app is ready before release? Or what kind of steps can you take?
1: Yeah, so we've kind of just talked about, you know, there's all this automated testing you can do. That's great. Uh, Once it's out in the real world, you can look at analytics and, and see what the performance is happening. But ideally, you'd get it into some people's hands. So having people inside your company or a small group of tested users using even the, you know, everyday updated version as an alpha. Uh, so they can start noticing things that are happening and going on there. Uh, and then possibly having a larger beta testing group. So something that you've, you've vetted, you're pretty sure is okay. You're, you're confident it's close to release quality. But being able to run that through a group of, of people who ideally like you, and might be a little more tolerant if there's an issue or, or something pops up and are going to give you possibly better feedback. Or even just a, a small alternate group that you can look at the analytics for and make sure that there's nothing funky going on, um, that there hasn't been some kind of regression or, or anything happening there. So yeah, certainly unit tests beforehand. Do some of your own quality manual tests and automated integration tests, that kind of thing to run through user scenarios and then gets you know a small group, then a larger group of people using it, and then let, give it to everybody, um, and make sure that you're watching what's happening after you've given it to everybody.
0: I like what you said about like finding people who like you and are willing to give you good like feedback. I think that's so hard to find like good alpha testers as far as like who is going to provide you with the best feedback and actually use the app. Like the worst thing is giving it out to a bunch of people who are alpha testers and barely use it. Like that would be horrible.
1: Yeah. It's a real challenge trying to get it. I mean, you're, you're trying to get buy-in from people for a product before it's necessarily something that they've managed to to make part of their lives and, and make part of their workflows or, or whatever experience they have. Uh, certainly easier as you get a product that's more, more established and broadly used. And you, at that point you may just kind of get these emerging customers who are know, emailing you and giving you lots of feedback and that, but yeah, certainly earlier on for a smaller product, it's it's a real challenge. Although sometimes it doesn't take that long until you get a handful of them.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, totally true. So we talked about the uh, snapshot testing by the point free folks. What are some other tools or techniques you'd recommend when it comes to iOS development and testing?
1: I haven't had the opportunity to play with it a whole lot, but there are certainly a lot of people who like some of the uh, integration testing frameworks, uh, KIF, Cucumber, uh, that kind of type of thing. Um, and my feeling on those is if you're writing a bunch of those tests, it's probably worth playing with those, uh, that they can be really nice levels of abstraction, really nice tool sets compared to like Apple's Record a UI experience kind of stuff. There's some... Interesting things that if you are particularly low on manpower uh, might be interesting. There's getting to be, I think, Firebase, which I guess is Google these days, has built out and maybe some others um, where they will run your app on a number of different devices um, and run through some test stuff. You're saying kind of mechanical type stuff. I think there are some that are more automated and some that are less automated. So if you're getting into uh, concerns about variants and different hardware, there are some it's essentially more services rather than tools available for that. And then th- there's certainly a world of things that exist in, not to equate them, but usability and accessibility. And today, for the most part, I would say um, expert knowledge or testing with actual users would be the most beneficial things there. So you're probably either going to be Potentially, depending on the the size of the team and the the expertise you have internally, you may be working with external experts to help you improve and do things there. Um, They're the kind of things where it's not necessarily that hard to get a reasonable level of things on your own so that you've got a good baseline to get really valuable advice out of either testing with real users or consultants who have more knowledge and expertise in that area. Uh, For example, to help refine your Uh, accessibility experiences.
0: Well, thank you so much, Christina, for coming on the show. Where can people find you online? Uh, Thanks
1: very much for having me. Uh, These days, probably Twitter. don't have as much of an online presence as I used to. I think uh, grocswift.com is still up, but uh, it's gotten a little stale at this point. Hopefully someday I'll have time to circle back and start blogging again. But life has just been a little busy lately, and that hasn't been happening. (laughs)
0: I can understand that. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And uh, this this was a great topic. I hope a lot of people find it helpful because I certainly do when it comes to testing and getting my apps out there.
1: Yeah, thanks. It's been uh, great talking to you about it and really fun to focus on something that can sometimes feel a little parallel to the work that I'm doing that maybe we sometimes don't focus on directly enough.
0: Yeah, exactly. Folks can find me on Twitter at LeoGTN. My company is Bright Digit, B R I G H T D I G I T. And if you could, please recommend this to some of your friends. Post a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon, or wherever you are listening. Thank you again, and I look forward to talking to you in the next episode.